you're like me and you've been in the church for many years, you will have heard many sermons that surround topics like we heard in the gospel today. Many sermons in which Jesus confronts religious leaders who seek to impose rules on the Sabbath day, rules of rest and avoidance of work, and how Jesus often runs up against those who seek to impose these rules, and he fights them. One of the things that I kept getting, though, every time I would hear a sermon are almost always a couple of themes that I want to challenge today. One of the themes is often that Jesus is presented as the one who sort of says that the Sabbath isn't all that important, uh, and they're making too big a deal out of it. And then other times I would get the impression from sermons that what Jesus is about is a sort of anti-authoritarian anarchist who takes all of the Old Testament rules and tosses them out so we can have a new and bright future based on what we want to do instead of what religious authorities impose. I'd like to suggest, though, that in fact that's a very false way of looking at what's going on when we find the debates between Jesus and the religious leaders. I'd like to suggest today, and I hope back them up with a little evidence, that in fact the Sabbath continues to be deeply important to us and that we at our peril ignore the commandment God gives us to make the Sabbath holy. And secondly, I'd like to suggest that what's behind Jesus' attack on the Pharisees is not an attack on Sabbath observance, but instead is a core misunderstanding of what the Sabbath is all about. I'd like to talk about those two themes today and unpack them a little bit so that they become more understandable for us and bring new life to us who live in a very busy 24-7 kind of world that makes very little place for rest. Now, let's start by picking up on that theme. One of the things that's really interesting about the world we live in today is that the world we live in today, I remember decades ago, made us many, many big promises about how much leisure time I would have. <laughs> I can remember when I was a little kid, uh, back way back in the 80s, so go all the way back in your way back machine, I remember the first time we got a computer in the house. It was an Apple II. You may remember those. Some of you, even earlier, might have gotten the Commodore 64, but we were a little bit behind. And I still remember how it was that we learned on these things, and we had these floppy disks that were about that big to store a little bit of data. And I remember learning about it. And what I remember is, is that hearing on the news about the computer revolution and how this would free up so much time that computers could do labor, and we would be saved all of this extra work. Well, we all know how that's turned out, right? It's that people, especially people who are sort of in, in uh, professional jobs, higher levels of employment, it used to be you'd always joke about doctors because they'd be out at 3 o'clock golfing, right? Well, doctors don't go out at 3 o'clock golfing. They're at the office until 10 o'clock at night. Uh, my brother is a lawyer in a large firm in England, and I know very well that all the people who surround him are the 70-hour-a-week types of people. They're not the three-martini lunch kind of people. What we find is instead of us living in a world that is commanded by religious commands and by observance of the Sabbath, our world has changed very deeply from the world that Jesus lived in. And so when we speak about Jesus' pushing back on Sabbath rules, we need to understand our context is quite different. And in fact, the reason the Sabbath exists continues to speak to us today. If you have your Bible with you and wanted to look up uh, what I'm about to read, it's in Exodus chapter 20. And Exodus 20 is a place in the Bible where, G or where God has rescued the people of Israel. They've been slaves in Egypt. He's brought them into the desert through great miracles, and he brings them to a mountain called Sinai. And as the Israelites wait at the foot of Sinai, 
God calls Moses up and he gives them commandments. And one of the things he gives them is the Ten Commandments. Listen to this in Exodus chapter 20, where God describes the Ten Commandments for the first time. This is uh, verse 8. God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it or made it holy. See what it's saying here? What it suggests is the importance of the Sabbath is not just something external God imposes, but instead, by referring back to the very fabric of creation, God is saying Sabbath is something, rest is something, that human beings, by virtue of living in this world, need to have. You may remember that story in the first two chapters of Genesis, where God uh, creates the heavens and the earth in six days. His crowning achievement is to make human beings, and what does he say? Let us make humankind in our image. We see the human beings made in God's image, and then what does God do right after? He takes a day of rest. How strange that is. Is God tired? Man, that was a lot of work. I really got to put up my feet and crack open a cold one. Of course not. Why does God do this? Why is this story here? One of the things it teaches us, I think, is to say, if you are made in God's image, then you need to look at what God actually does and say, a person made in God's image is the kind of person who does what God does. God works for six days, and to provide us an example, not because he's tired, but to provide us an example takes a day of rest. And that tells us something about rest. Sabbath is a day, a 24-hour period, where you devote yourself to rest. If God does this, he shows us an example that says it's key to human flourishing. And in fact, all we need to do to look around the modern world and see the stress that people live under and the dissatisfaction they often feel with their labor, that's all we need to do to understand why it's so important. I remember having read many articles over the past few decades about employers coming to realize the importance of rest. And uh, I often, maybe it's just because I'm interested in them, but I do find it interesting. Many of the articles are about German people and Japanese people, two uh, cultures that are known for their industriousness. And one of the things that I've noticed German companies, I often hear stories about them in the modern era, is they confiscate their workers' cell phones before they go on holidays and block their email accounts because they find that so industrious are these people that when they go on vacation, they keep checking their emails, catching up, and they come back no more rested than when they started, and they are not productive workers. In Japan, I've read oftentimes that people in a hyper-competitive uh, environment, even though they are given in their contract of employment a few weeks of vacation, they don't take it because they're afraid they'll look lazy, so they actually force and refuse to allow them on the premises for these weeks in which they have their vacation time because they know that a happy worker, a productive worker, has taken time for recreation and rest. When we think about our own lives, one of the things that's really important, I think, about taking Sabbath and rest time and why there's a deep religious commitment here that God gives us is because the importance of stopping the work that we do does go, gives us an excellent reminder that not everything in the world depends on us. One of the things you do when you say, for 24 hours I refuse to do productive work, I refuse to earn my paycheck, 
is that you're saying that in fact the person who I really rely on, the person I really rely on is my creator. And he in the end is the one who provides for me. You know, one of the things that uh, they teach you when you're in seminary and you learn by experience when you go into parish ministry is, they always give you a little bit of warning about retired clergy. And I'll tell you why they do that. Retired clergy can be a tremendous blessing. And in fact, when I go on vacation in July, uh, Bill Fairley and Bill Prentice will each take a Sunday for me, retired clergy who out of their kindness and love for me and God's kingdom will give up some of their retirement time to serve. And that can be great. But here's why they give you a bit of a warning. Because we've all heard horror stories as clergy about the retired clergy who won't get out of the leadership of the parish. About the retired clergy in your parish who always get involved in parish council disputes, who always go and visit the people who are in disputes with you because they need pastoral care, but in fact what they end up doing is nursing grievances. Now is it because they're really bad people? No, but instead it's because sometimes clergy, and I really relate to this, get into the habit of believing that parish life is entirely dependent upon them. You get up on Sunday and I do most of the talking, unfortunately. And I do most of the talking, I do the, the, the most of the preaching, and then people come up and say, oh, your, your sermon was so great, and oh, thank you, it, it really fed me, and then you start thinking, yeah, well, it was, it was pretty great, wasn't it? That was pretty awesome. You know, if I do say so myself, that analogy was, was, was pretty great, pretty inspired, and you start getting into this uh, attitude where you start thinking, you know why they're spiritually fed is only because of how, how good a job I do, but there's a terrible flip side. You become a person who needs that validation constantly, who needs to be told you are needed, and unfortunately that anxiety will crush you. You deliver a, a flop of a sermon, you mess something up in pastoral care, you say a, 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 a foolish word to a person, or you make a bad decision, everything is lost. Because the Messiah has fallen. I'm not the Messiah. Somebody else is the Messiah. He is the one this church belongs to. What the Sabbath does is to say, look, I may want to look at my cell phone and I may want to be connected with my people at all the times, and yes, maybe if, if it's a true emergency, but how tempting it is to say, well, it's kind of slightly an emergency, I better take care of it. It feeds the idea that everything depends on us and it does not. There's no rest if you don't stop and let God do the work and display to us that in fact he is the one in charge. I can deliver a flop of a sermon. I can make a mistake as a pastoral care person. I can make many mistakes, and I realize in those mistakes that God is showing me something about where the true strength of the church lies. It lies with His Spirit and not with me. And it also is an opportunity to let other people carry work that they would benefit from. How damaging he is in a church where the priest does everything, and instead of encouraging people to use their everyday gifts, he steps in and does it all, well, then where are we left in using the gift that God gives us? Sabbath allows us to stop and reminds us who is in charge, and that is deeply important. But I'll say the second thing, though. Sabbath is a time in which we are truly in need of refreshment, relaxation, and this is one of the most important things that Sabbath gives us. It refreshes our spirit. God tells us not to work, and there's a danger, as I'll get into in a minute, where Jesus confronts Pharisees, and the Pharisees have said in many different ways, don't do this, don't go on a journey beyond this amount of time, make sure you don't do this or this or this. It is a legalistic approach that limits work and defines it so closely that it ends up feeling like a burden rather than a freedom. Jesus is fighting against that. 
But I will tell you, however, that one of the dangers about not having these sorts of rules, not paying attention to the Sabbath, is that we can lie to ourselves about what we're actually finding relaxing and refreshing. You know, one of the reasons why we uh, encouraged uh, us to adopt in the mission statement the word moral honesty is to say there's a moral tradition God gives us of the Sabbath. To take the Sabbath, to take it seriously, but to be honest about whether we're actually living it or not. And I'll give you an example. You know, when I go out in the garden lately over the, the past few springs, I have really enjoyed being out there, getting my hands a little bit dirty, thinking about where I'm going to put a plant, and I walk past uh, the new bed that I laid and pat myself on the back about how nice those flowers look. I've got a fairly small garden, and so although it's physical labor, I'm refreshed by it. I don't earn any money out of the deal. But I also know there's a danger. I have a relative of mine who has a massive, massive vegetable garden, and they work at it. They enjoy doing it. That's great. They make all the canned goods, pickled beets, pickles, onions, the whole deal. It's great. The problem is, I know very well what would happen if I had a massive garden, and I told myself, well, gardening relaxes me. Well, that is full-out toil, sweat-of-my-brow kind of labor if I'm out there doing this and working my way through this massive garden. We do this all the time. I'm going to relax by watching Netflix, or I'm going to relax and spend some time refreshing myself by checking up on the photographs that my grandchildren are putting up on Facebook. That could be genuinely refreshing. But at the end of it, do you feel anxious, drained, worried, troubled? And stop lying to yourself. You are not being refreshed. You are working. You are doing something that adds burdens to your life instead of actually something that refreshes and restores you. I would like to suggest that the Sabbath is so important that we find places of relaxation, refreshment, and rest that we cannot allow ourselves to lie to ourselves about what we're actually doing. I find sometimes browsing in a store is refreshing and relaxing, but I also know what it is like to go through list after list after list of chores and find that at the end of the day, I am more tired than when I started. Let's be honest with ourselves and actually take God at his word and say it is deeply important to what it means to be a whole human being, to genuinely take rest. This is not an option God gives us. It is not the Ten Suggestions, it is the Ten Commandments, and it is just as important to do this as it is to avoid lying and the other things God tells us in His commands. He tells us this for our own good. Now, to shift gears, I also mentioned how I believe that Jesus is fighting against the Pharisees and challenging their conception of the Sabbath. But He's doing it not because Sabbath isn't important, but because they're missing a key element of what Sabbath is all about. Now, if you know a little bit about the Scriptures, and particularly the Old Testament, you'll know that the book of Exodus is where uh, the Moses' uh, leadership sort of begins. So we see Moses' birth, he becomes leader of Israel, he receives the Ten Commandments. But a few books later, Deuteronomy is where Moses' ministry comes to an end. He knows he's about to die, and his ministry of leadership over the, the uh, nation is coming to an end. Deuteronomy is presented as a sort of recap, his final sermon and sort of saying, uh, in case you uh, missed out in the past several years of my leadership, here are the highlights that I want you to hold on to. So one of the things he does is in Deuteronomy, he restates the Ten Commandments. And so you heard a few minutes ago, I read from Exodus where God first gave it. But I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And this is uh, uh, verse 12. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, he restates that the Sabbath day must be holy, but he gives a slightly different spin. 
Listen to what he says and see if you can notice the difference. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the resident alien in your town so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you notice what's going on here? In Exodus, he says, take the Sabbath, receive the Sabbath as a gift because it will restore you. But here, the focus is different. Take the Sabbath because your slaves and servants need it. Give them the Sabbath, remembering what it is like to be a person under the authority of another. You see, one is receiving, the other is giving. I think understanding those two dimensions of Sabbath keeping are what helps us understand what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. If you skip forward to Mark, where he's speaking about this and debating with them about the, uh, the relevance of the Sabbath, he says, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm in the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, and he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart. Elsewhere, when he faces off against them, he says, Any one of you, if one of your animals fell in a well, you'd pull him out. But here's a person who's been suffering. Every day for them is a labor. He's got a withered hand. He can't do the things that we do without thinking. Why not do what Deuteronomy tells you to do on the Sabbath? Give this person refreshment and life. The only reason you're pulling out this animal is because it will cost you something. You don't want to maim or lose your animal. How can you treat an animal so well but not treat a brother Israelite so well? By giving them the refreshment they need by helping them instead of harming them. Jesus is angry at them, at their hardness of heart, because the Sabbath's key role is not only for us to receive but for us to have the opportunity of giving Sabbath rest to people who desperately need it. How do we do that in our day-to-day? Well, of course, if you're an employer, it's worthwhile considering how you give rest time to your employees. But it also, for those of us who aren't employers, to ask ourselves, when we take rest, what do we do to help other people have it? Maybe later today you'll say, you know what, Father Stephen, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm going to make sure today is a day of rest, and I'm going to go relax on the patio and have a margarita. Good for you. Why not ask your neighbor next door and say, I'm going to make two margaritas. You want to come and join me? And you go out in the garden and you start planting and you find yourself refreshed by it. Why not drag one of your kids out and say, you know what? I want you to experience what that refreshment is like. (laughs) Believe you me, you'll find out over time that it's a wonderful thing. Well, why not take a Sunday and say, you know what? I want to relax, but maybe why not relax by going to visit my mom? I haven't talked to you in a little while. Mono is rocket science. It's a question of asking whether we have the freedom to do what is good and to be an agent of rest and life-giving wholeness, not just to receive it, but to give it. Consider well what the Sabbath means and understand that as a human being, God wants you to enjoy it because he wants you to flourish, but also understand you have a precious gift to give others when you give the Sabbath. Look for opportunities on your day of rest and throughout your week to give people the refreshment and the rest that they so desperately need. Because when you do that, you will be resembling the image of God in you, and you will give them reason to believe that there really is someone above us who has created us and who truly loves us 
and as the desire to make us flourish.